Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Wade Cooper, for the win, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's gone, Wade Cooper is the man. Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, we're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Oh, yeah. So it is just the two of us this evening. Myself, Mitch, I'm joined just by Ando. Just the two of us. How are you, Ando? Mate, I'm good. Good to be back. Um, and now I've got Will Smith in my head with just the two of us, so I like getting jiggy with it. So, yeah, things are good. It's going to be good, good to be here with you, mate. It's going to be a good pod. <laughs> Very keen. Very keen. And for all those at home who aren't aware, it is Ando's birthday on Wednesday, so... Send him a message, a DM, or uh, I don't know, do something just, for him. Just money or rugby millions and millions of dollars. Yep, I'm okay with either of it. It can either be well wishes or cold hard cash. <laughs> all rugby merch. Yeah, all, all rugby we merch. Rugby merch I, as well. I really like the new indigenous strips that are coming out. Actually, just 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 as a side point, yep. how good are um, the Wallaroos indigenous strips? And I'm even really liking the um. Was it the Sevens Indigenous? Yeah, strip? yeah. So the Sevens Women's fire. had their own one and so did the the Wallaroos as well. And different designs as well. It's not yeah. just the same one that the yep. Wallabies have worn. So great initiative there. And uh, something else I saw briefly just before we started recording, uh, that the Wallaroos do play tomorrow night, so Tuesday yep. night against Japan. And it's been confirmed that they will be wearing their Indigenous strip and they will be singing the two verses so of the Australian anthem, so in a, in English and in... Um, I, um, I, it's the dialect of where they are playing the game. That's correct. Um, so I'm not, I'm not I, was, wanna, I was reading about it, yeah. I'm not sure what to call it off the top of my head, and I don't want to call it the wrong thing. So the dialect of the region that they're playing, which is a fantastic initiative. Yeah, it's really, really cool. It was something that... Um, think one of Laurie Kramer's friends um, suggested and now the team have run with it and it's all come together really, really quickly. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're going to be singing the song and I'm looking at it right now. Uh, uh, it's the Yagumba language and they're, they're the traditional custodians of the land in Southeast Queensland and Northeast New South Wales because the game's set at Bond University. So that's really, really cool. Um, great initiative. And I think it's Aside from the Wallabies game against Argentina in 2020, the first time it's going to be done in a women's international mm-hmm. game. So fantastic initiative. Long may it continue. Awesome. Well, I do have a rugby-related question for you before we dive into the pod this Ooh, week. Let's go. So let's get into that. And my question is, it's a bit, it's a bit timely. Uh, mm. Last week, 
it was widely promoted throughout Australian rugby media that the gap between Australia and New Zealand was shrinking, that we were finally catching up to New Zealand and, and turning a corner. We have we've seen some mixed results this week or last weekend in in Super Rugby Pacific. How do you take that, Ando? What what do you think? Do you think we're still that gap has shrunk a little bit? Do you think we're getting a little bit closer to our Kiwi rivals, or did we just kick the beast a little bit and um, those results over the weekend were to be expected? Oh, look, I think it's a little column A, a little column B. Can I sit on a fence yep. um, and say that the two worst teams in Australian rugby were the ones that got smashed? Um, the ones that have been down on form. So it's the Rebels and the um, Force who have been in a poor run of form over the last couple of weeks, got absolutely spanked. And they were against, um, the Blues were just everything they touched turned to gold, like everything. So there were just some moments where they were absolutely incredible. Um, And then it was the Crusaders against the Force, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, The Force actually weren't... (laughs) Up until about the 50th minute, they were still very much in that game. And there were just some moments that got away from them. So I don't think the force were as poor as they were made out to be. Look, I think we said on the pod last week, mate, that the gap wasn't as big as everybody was talking about. Sorry, the, um, the it wasn't as big a weekend. It wasn't as though like we're, yeah. we are now dominating New Zealand teams. Exactly. It was just closer. And I still think that's the case. Yeah. And I just think you saw two of the weaker Australian teams go up against some very hot New Zealand teams. And yeah, exactly. that's sometimes going to happen. I think um, we saw, we recorded last Sunday and had our put out on Monday morning. And then from then, it sort of rolled Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday into the narrative of Australian yeah, rugby yeah, is back yeah, on yeah, top. Yeah, We're yeah. back, baby, all this sort of stuff. And nah. I was just sort of sitting there going, oh, well, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We've got a big weekend this weekend. And this coming weekend is massive as well, which I'm looking Huge. forward to chatting through yeah. later yeah, as well. Big. So. Look, I think um, that's just part of the regular news cycle, mate. You, you got to get the clicks. You got to get the people reading, and it's nice to think positively baby. now and then. Yeah, but that's just that's, that's just the way of modern media. That's so right. it it is what it is. And I think the more um, the people that don't need advertising revenue from clicks onto the website are the ones that are probably like holding the horses a little bit, just going, "Hey, hey, chill, come. We had a good round. Let's try and back it up this weekend." And some of the teams did. Exactly, exactly. Well, let's uh, get into our Super Brew results or do you want to run us through social media? Which one do you want to do first? Oh, mate, we'll do both really quickly. Social platforms, um, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Pick and Drive Rugby and we'll be on any of those uh, platforms. And with the Super Brew yellow cap, can we say a big congratulations to Tiger86 who has won the yellow cap for this week with 9.5 points for the round, followed up tightly by Tighthead66 with 9 points and then Spiker 07 with 8.5. And the overall leaderboard, things have tightened up a lot. So Kirando is on 75.5. And then SDC in second place on 75.08. And then Dan Mori on 74.5. So things are very, very close up front and up top. So congratulations to those three and everybody else fighting it out for the top one position. So best of luck in the coming weeks. Uh, Mitch, do you want to take us through what we're talking about tonight? Fantastic. So starting off, we'll go through some spicy news. It's been a few weeks since we've done that and there's been some player signings and re-signings announced. So we'll just go, we'll chat through those quickly. Then we'll dive into the game reviews for the last weekend. We saw the Wallaroos play their first test in two years, we'll chat through that. Then we'll get into the Super Rugby Pacific results uh, before we enter the locker room and answer your our fans' questions. All right, mate. Well, that sounds bloody exciting. I'm keen to get into it. 
Let's go. All right, time to talk some news now. And the most exciting thing that's happened in probably the last, uh, I think it's two weeks roughly, uh, this happened. The Aussie women's sevens team have been named world champions. So in their final series, or their second, it's actually the second last tournament of the World Series, uh, the Aussie women's were so far ahead that they couldn't be caught. So they were crowned World Series champions in Langford in Canada uh, about 10 days ago, I think it was now. Uh, so massive, massive result by the Aussie women's sevens team. Uh, they did beat New Zealand in the final of that series to take it out and to secure a top spot. So awesome to see the women's seven going from strength to strength. They've had a changeover in the coaching from uh, what we saw in Tokyo uh, last year. So there's been a lot of foundation work that has been done by John Menenti, who was the coach of the women's sevens leading up to Tokyo and um, and post and after Tokyo, it swapped over to Tim Walsh, who's now the, the current coach, um, who was previously the men's coach. So they've done a bit of a switcheroo, which I think we spoke about a few yeah, months ago. Um, but yeah, great to see that the women's sevens have gone from strength to strength, taken out this series, taken out the world championships as well. So the Aussie women's are top of the world, which is awesome to see. Any thoughts around this one, Ando, or should we keep moving? Yeah, mate, it's, buddy, it's great. Just awesome to celebrate their success and to have an Australian team, particularly and even more exciting, an Australian women's team that we can support. They are the uh, biggest success story in Australian rugby over the last like decade, really. Um, so huge, huge credit to the women. And what I think that really shows is the capacity that the Australian women have across uh, the seven and 15 um, player game to be able to perform against the world's best when they're in a full-time professional or with a professional environment where they're actually paid for what they do. Um, you see a lot of the difference of quality between say some of the six nations, 15 side teams uh, and the Wallaroos or Fijiana. And that's just the difference in funding and contracting systems where the Australian women are barely paid for what they do. So I think the quicker that the improvements in Australian rugby lead to the full professionalism of the women's players, the better and the better it will be for Australian rugby as a whole and the better it will be for the spectacle of women's rugby, which is awesome and can't wait to see. Exactly. Well said. Uh, let's move to Waratahs town now. So New South Wales Ooh, based. We, yeah. are, we are Waratahs fans. So this is very exciting news for us. The first bit of news uh, broke last week that Namani Nadolo, international player for Fiji, has, is coming back to New South Wales. So Nadolo did feature for the Waratahs. He came through their academy. Um, I'm thinking off the top of my head, it was 2013. Even, I don't even remember. Maybe even earlier. Basically, he just got cut, shafted for not being good enough or something like that. Yeah, he he played a game or a handful of games for the Waratahs from their academy. Didn't quite catch it at, at the um, top level. Ended up uh, signing with the Crusaders and he played against the Waratahs in that 2014 victory for the Crusaders. Since then, he has moved overseas and he's played a lot of um, test rugby for Fiji, but he's also played in Europe um, and France, so he's he's a bit of a, a journeyman, and he's coming back to sort of finish the end of his career in Super Rugby for the Waratahs, which is fantastic as a fan to see a player of his caliber coming back. Um, and what's your kind of thoughts about how much game time he will be getting? Do you expect to see him named in the twenty-three week in week out uh, alongside the likes of a player like Kurtley Bill, 
Or do you think he no. might feature a little bit more like, um, oh, what's his name? Jamie Roberts. Jamie Roberts this year yep. and sort of. Yeah, I think he'll be he'll be more of a bench player. Um, he has power. He has um, a, a bit of pace still, although he'll be what thirty four. Um, 33-34 at the beginning of next season. He still... He's been playing for Northampton? North, Northampton? Le- Leinster, or Leicester. 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 Leicester, is it? Okay. Um, yeah, he's been playing for Leicester. And um, their their coach has been raving about the skills and ability he brings in. He's scored five tries in 10 games for them this season. Uh, he's, he's doing pretty well. So he definitely still has a skill, definitely still has the ability... I think he'll be one of those older heads within a young squad that can provide a bit of guidance and a bit of impact when he does get his opportunity. But um, Mitch, I need to I need to stop you for a second. Mm. I'm incredibly offended that you just claimed a when you were talking about the Aussie women's that the biggest piece of news in Australian rugby was the women's sevens title, and then b when you started talking about Namani Nadolo. Uh, the Waratahs, you talked about Namani Nadolo. The biggest news in Australian rugby this week is Ugh. the return of Ned Hannigan to Australian shores and the Waratahs sky blue. Welcome back, Shed Hannigan. We've missed you. It is good <laughs> to have you back. I love you, Ned. Please, there's a, please there's an asterisk around this. There is an asterisk around this little bit of news. Uh, this was broken this evening by Christy Doran on Twitter uh, via Fox Sports. We know, don't know exactly yet if it is 100% legitimate um particularly the next bit of news that we haven't quite said just yet that that Paddy Ryan uh is returning to the Waratahs as well from uh the MLR uh coming back to cover a tight head prop um now that Harry Johnson Holmes has picked up an injury and won't feature for the Waratahs for the rest of uh the regular season this this little bit of information is supposedly going to be confirmed tomorrow. So maybe by the time you're listening to this, this is, uh, has been confirmed by the Waratahs and is legitimate news. But at the moment, I'm just, I think the Aussie women's is a little, it's confirmed. So we can say that that is probably the biggest bit of news other than Ned Hannigan. Uh, look, I think Ned Hannigan is the biggest piece of news that we need to hear. Um, but in, in really good news, I, if we actually do talk about that in a serious level, I think it just adds a bit more depth into the lock coverage for the Waratahs and it raises some interesting questions for the Wallabies number six in the mid-year and later internationals because with Lockie Swinton injured, Leota coming back from injury as well, um, you've probably got Samu and Valentini that are really the main contenders for that sixth jersey who have been playing awesome. And I think if Ned Hannigan can get some game time before the end of the season, he just adds another name into the picture. I'm not saying he walks into all of his jersey by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I just think it's a good thing to have competition for those spots. I can already hear the fans, the the keyboard keyboard warriors out there going nuts saying you can't have him playing lock for the Waratahs and then being named at test level at six. Yes, you can. Uh, I can I can see it's we've been shot down before with our teams of the week. I can see it coming. Um, it will be interesting to see though because uh, with the likes of Michael Hooper and Charlie Gamble playing so well for the Waratahs currently, he doesn't feature in the back row in my opinion. So he will pro- most likely feature for the Waratahs in the in the second row. I would really, really like to see how a combination of Ned Hannigan and um, Jed Holloway go together. I think those two would be really impressive for the Waratahs yep. and be really exciting yep. to see how they go. Uh, but 
yeah, interesting to see whether he is in Wallaby's frame if he is in the if he's been talking with Dave Rennie and if he's a a real shot at selection. We'll have to see come um, later in the year. But let's move on from that. Um, was there anything else you wanted to say over around that? Anything about Paddy Ryan? Nah, no, I'm good. Cool. <laughs> I've spoken all I needed to about Ned Hadigan. I'm happy. All right, well, let's shift across to Wallabies news. And, and over the last few weeks and months, there has been a number of key players that have re-signed with Australian rugby. Uh, the biggest name today was Noel Alessio has signed on with the Brumbies and with Rugby Australia through to 2024. Uh, most of these players, if not all of them, have signed through to 2024. So they are all confirmed to stay in Australia for the next year and a bit. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens post-2024, um, how many of these younger up-and-coming players do hang around. Um, but for the moment, these players are the ones that are staying with Australian rugby for the next few years. So the, the names are Noel Alessio, the Lonigan brothers, so Ryan and uh, Lockie Lucky. Lonigan. We've got Harry Johnson-Holmes, Lalakai Fakedi, Jordan Pattaya, Andrew Kellaway, Darcy Swain, Isaiah Parisi, Dave Precky and Jock Campbell, to name a few. There are probably a few others as well. Those are the ones that we've just sort of gone back over the last probably probably month and a half that have come out um, that we may not have mentioned before. Big, big, um, big things for Australian rugby to be able to sign some of these talent, particularly Noel Alessio. We have been talking in the last few weeks around his the offers and the money that he was being offered over in Japan. Great to see that he has decided to stay in Australian rugby and, and back the gold jersey. Do you think that he features um, for the Wallabies again this year? Do you think he's in the frame for um, selection uh, in 2023, uh, 2022, sorry? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, he's definitely within the frame, and I think that's going to be a large part of why he stayed within the country. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, shall we move through to the next bit? I haven't seen any of the Champions Cups. Yeah, I'll quickly... I'll quickly make a couple of points. Um, firstly, with Jock Campbell, I just want to say before we move on to the Champions okay. League, um, I made a prediction a while back that Jock Campbell was going to be lost to Australian rugby. I just need to put it out there and own that obviously I'm wrong. Um, I thought with the transition from Jordan Pattai into fullback, although that seems to have stopped in the last couple of weeks, maybe because of the injury to Jock, um, to James O'Connor, I think that yeah, he's obviously been given some level of guarantee that he has a future with lots of game time at the Queensland Reds. So he's decided to stay in the country. So good for him. I'm a massive, massive fan of his and glad to see him hopefully get more game time at 15 for the Reds. Now, moving on to Toulouse. Toulouse beat Munster on penalties within a Champions Cup. And I just wanted to highlight this because it's the first time since 2004 that a Champions Cup match has gone down to penalties. So what that basically means, for those of you who um, don't know how penalties work within kind of the... The penalty shootout. Side of things. Yeah, penalty shootout. So if teams are even after extra time, they go to a penalty shootout um, where three players are selected from each team and they have to take a shot from right in front. Um, over to the right, over to the left. And I mean, I can't remember the exact details, but I think you have to be ahead by two after four or five shots or something like that um, to win. And and Toulouse got through. Antoine Dupont was just a beast like normal. Um, and a couple of the Munster players missed, which yeah, was Yeah, I think Murray was the one that them. missed from right in front, unfortunately. He, he missed one of them. Yeah, it was a very, very bad miss. Um, he missed a second shot, I think. And I was like, oh my 
God, Conor Murray, you should be hitting those every day of the week. Um, but anyway, I thought I'd just raise that. Go back and watch it just to see a little bit of history being made in terms of the nature of the spectacle. I mean, itself, if you can, like, fact. well done if you can find it. I've seen this come up on my Twitter feed the last two days and every single time it, the, the video that's attached it's to geo-locked. the tweet is geolocked, so I can't actually see it. So I've heard about yep. it, but I've not been able to find the actual footage anywhere. We should get sponsored by NordVPN like every other content creator on the internet and um, just get a free account for you to be able to access that. Yeah, yeah, we'll look into it. That's a Yeah, we'll look into shout. it. But um, All it, right, it mate, does very throw quickly. up that question around, uh, around the, the validity of that penalty shootout. Like if we got to a World Cup final and it's locked at full time, they go to extra point or extra time, it's still locked. I don't think I want to see it come down to penalty shootouts. That... It's not rugby. It's not su- like it's not a rugby thing. I I really like what we've done in Super Rugby AU last year of golden try that you have to score yep. a try and just keep playing yep. till someone scores, even if it takes for for a rugby World Cup final, even if it takes an extra eighty minutes and no one can score. Well, we've just got two great games of rugby. We've been oh, uh, a, a try would happen. You just extend yeah, the extra exactly. time by like fifteen minutes. There'll be a try. That's what I mean. Like um, it would, it would, it would happen. But if the people, mm. the reason they're saying, it, oh, because you know we'll get an extra eighty minutes of rugby with no one being able to score a try, well, then that's great for a rugby world cup final. We've got two games, so completely agree, mate. Well, let's carry on. You wanted to quickly talk about something that Razzy Erasmus was putting out there. Yeah, so it came out in a column that he writes for one of the papers, I think it was in England uh, last week or the week before, that he has highlighted three areas that he thinks could fix the game of rugby if he was given charge. So one of those was the the three points that he highlighted in his article was the first one, having two referees to referee the breakdown, similar to kind of what they do in rugby or they used to do in rugby league, I guess, and have two officials on the field trying to referee the same thing and see if they can get the decisions right. Uh, The second one was around a specific scrum referee who roams up and down the sidelines. And when it comes to scrum time, he gets on the field and sort of takes over from the official. And then once the scrum's over, he gets back on the sideline and the referee takes back over. Uh, And the third one was around officiating the clock, uh, the kicking clock. So uh, that's already a rule in the rule book that you've only got, I think, 60 seconds to, to kick a penalty. But most of the time, referees allow up to 90 seconds uh, and mm-hmm. it's never really officiated properly. And that's one of the things that he has highlighted in his article is speeding up the game and and really, I guess, fixing some of the areas. One of the things that I got from reading this, and I, I, I don't know why we haven't done it so far. I think it's a pretty cool idea what we could do, with particularly with current technology that we've got. Um, the idea of the scrum referee, I think, has legs, not in the way that he's... Uh, pro- What's the word? Proposed it or position? Proposed it. Yep. Proposed it, yeah. Um, I think it would be fantastic to have almost like a, a TMO, but just for scrums. So we've got a, another who's a, a scrum official. So he is, you know, maybe one, think of one of the international nations scrum forwards coaches who's so highly, his area of expertise is scrummaging. He knows exactly yep. what's happening yep. when he's looking at footage. He knows where the what the props are trying to do here and there. He's shifted across into an official um, referee position. He sits up there with the the broadcaster, and when it comes to scrum time, um, the referee on the field gives control of that situation up to that referee in the box, who is all, all hooked up through communications, kind of like we do with TMOs at the moment. Um, he has access then to the broadcast. So at the moment, we've got in, in Super Rugby Pacific, 
well, in the Australian side particularly, we've got the uh, spider cam, which is a great facility. Yep. The referee can literally just see exactly what's happening from on top of the angle. Um, he gets to control that. So he can see from that viewpoint what's actually happening. He can see Taniel Tupo boring in sideways. He can see uh, where the second row was are, are, are collapsing and pulling the, the prop down or backwards and yep. and doing yep. all those things that you maybe not you can't see standing next to the scrum or, on the field. So he then gives the call down to the to the referee on the sideline on the field and says, you know, number three red is is boring, is 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 doing whatever it is illegally, and then the referee can take the call from there and make that decision. It's not a, yeah. a massive change to what we already have. We have the technology. Obviously, it's not something that you're going to see it on the uh, the, the junior rugby down um, on a Sunday afternoon at your local park. But once we get to super rugby level uh, internationals, particularly, we have the technology available to us. The game is getting so technical. It's we're, we're sitting here as pundits and um, commentators talking about how the referees are consistently getting the, particularly the scrum element of the game wrong. Um, mm. And it's such a technical aspect of the game that we probably need to look at some unique way or some innovation to be able to referee these areas of the game differently. Yep. Yep. All right. Some interesting ideas put out there. Um, normally I ignore everything that Razzie says. Uh, because I think that so much of what he says is just posturing. But at the same time, there are some interesting ideas that he's brought forward in there. So, yeah, cool. Some more, more conversations moving forward. But final thing we did want to quickly say was Blood is Low is going to be played in Melbourne on Thursday, the 15th of September. So that'll be the first of the two match Blood is Low series for 2022. And the uh, next, next year's game in 2023 will also be in Melbourne. So Melbourne have got the rights to it for the next two years, which is pretty significant. Um, and they're going to be two, a two-match series until 2025 was the agreement. So, yeah, just thought we'd raise that one. And a final thing that I want to quickly say before we move on, and we are going to talk about the Wallaroos in a moment, but the Wallaroos' next match against Japan is tomorrow afternoon. And we mentioned it earlier. I want to re-say it now. Coverage starts at 4.50 p.m. Sydney time, so the game itself is starting at 5. Make sure that you get involved and watch that match and give the girls and the women our support because um, every eyeball and every cheering fan counts. Yep, well said. Fantastic. Let's, um, let's move across now into the games of the week. All right, let's go. To start the rugby for the weekend, the Wallaroos, for the first time in 956 days, were able to pull on the jersey and play for their country and came away victors, 36-19 to 19 against a dogged and skillful Fijiana team. It was a great game of rugby, wonderful to see the quality, the emotions and the passion that the women had for their game and for their country. I enjoyed watching their game, watching this game, Mitch. How, how, did, how did you enjoy the spectacle of this match? Yeah, it was fantastic. It was awesome to see the just the passion, first of all, of the and the emotion from the Wallaroos players when the anthem was being sung. That you could really tell that it meant a lot to them to be back out there and playing for their country again. There was a, there was a lot of tears by the players and a lot of smiles, a lot of laughter. So. Really, really infectious. It was really great as a rugby fan to sit there and really just get that sort of intimate moment with the players. Um, you don't always see that with 
with the men's game, men's side of things. So it's 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 sometimes it sort of feels with the men's, uh, particularly in international arenas and things, that it's kind of given that they've they've got to that level and they you know they're they're there and it's always there. But for these women, you really got the sense that it was an opportunity that mm. they will not necessarily get again. And it's something that they haven't had the opportunity for two years to be able to do. So you could really tell that they were proud to be there. 100%. And the game itself really lived up to it. I mean, we had high expectations for the Fijiana team because of the quality of the Fijiana Endrua, and it was the large majority of that Endrua squad which made up this Fijiana team. And also we hadn't, I guess it was a bit of a changing of the guard with 11 debutants named within the 23. And it was a real, we didn't know what to expect from this Walters team, but so many players stood up. Um, for me particularly, and I might steal this name from you, I apologise for you, but man of the, or player of the match, I should say, apologies, player of the match, Pauline Piliai Rasabale, was just incredible at number 12. She had a directness to her play, a level of um, agility, just to use her fast feet right before the tackle, a couple of good offloads and a nice try to cap things off. She was one player that I just really was impressed with throughout the match. Who stood out for you within this game, Mitch? I really liked Mahalia Murphy. I thought she played really well. We've seen Mm. through her Super W campaign this year how important and how big a player she was for the New South Wales Waratahs team. Um, she's carried that form straight through to the Wallaroos and that I think it was the second try of the game where she goes over in the right-hand corner, beats two defenders to get there and, and carries a third one over. Was just um, it, was, it was freakish in a lot of ways. Like the, the fact that she could break through the tackle, twist her body in a way to be able to put the ball down without going over the sideline. Um, she's got such a unique skill set, uh, particularly in the women's side of the game. And it, she's a real asset to the Wallaroos and I think there's gonna, they need to use her a lot. And um, she'll be a real player to watch, particularly later in the year when we get up into the the Rugby World Cup. Look, I think there was um, some really quality play, particularly, I mean, we can highlight some of the backs, obviously. Um, Georgina Fredericks is just, everything she does, both at the Waratahs and now at the Wallaroos level, for me, she combines that pace and acceleration with almost like a player that I kind of, equate her with is Izzy Parisi just he doesn't want to get tackled and he has the strength to be able to ride through and just keep the legs pumping even within that tackle engagement and she really demonstrated that strength to me um but I mean you can look at the entire back row Emily Chancellor Shannon Perry Grace Hamilton were brilliant as well um yeah look there's just some really quality performances all round that's not to say this game was easy um I think after the initial try it the well, I mean, like, yeah, that first try was a penalty try. Yeah, it? like yeah, and and then the Fijiana came back with a couple of um, quick, kind of close range drives as well. One of the interesting things is I'm not sure if it was a case of the Wallaroos were playing it in tight and suck the Fijiana defense in, and then the Fijiana just responded in kind, but. I found that there was far less width within the play of Fijiana than we saw at the Super Rugby level. And I just, every time they seem to go wide, they seem to be getting into these one-on-one tackle opportunities where they were doing well and making lots of meters. I'm surprised they didn't try to seek those opportunities more within this match. Yeah, and I think that might come down to the coaching setup and and the familiarity with the, the Fijiana players coming in. The majority of the squad was Fijiana or uh, Fijiana in Drua 
players, but there were also other players that were drafted in from various Super W clubs um, and back over from Fiji as well. So it, it was a, a new group of players that were coming together and, and were sort of gelling and getting to know each other. Um, different coaching setup, different coach than the Fijiana Indrua um, in the Super W. So there might just be a little bit of time of getting to know each other and 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 a new game plan and adjusting to that to see how it goes. Uh, on, on the other side of the coin, though, I thought the Wallaroos looked like a really polished um, team mm-hmm. who, like when you look read through the team list, it was 80% New South Wales Waratahs players that were selected to start the game. Um, and then there was a few on the bench from the the various Super W teams. But overall, the players that were from the other Super Provinces really, um, like they looked like they gelled really, really well. Um, yep. So the Wallaroos team didn't have a great deal of time to prep for this game, uh, but they really came out and they performed like a, a, a team that has been playing for a while together. Um, and it was really good to see. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things when you look at the team makeup is that in a lot of the key positions along what we would typically call the spine of the team, it was Waratahs players. So you look at um, eight, Grace Hamilton, nine, Ilisiva Badibasaga, 10, Arabella McKenzie, 12, Pauline Piliai Rasavale, and then Laurie Kramer at 15. Those are all New South Wales Waratahs players. And so they just have that innate connection within those positions, which is fantastic. And then you look at who in the back line is not a Waratahs player? Well, it's Ivania Wong, who's just a superstar, but she's playing on the wing. And it's far easier to integrate into a back line when you're playing on a wing rather than a central playmaking position. Um, so I think that that type of thing, and we saw that within a bench makeup and the rest of the forward pack as well, that it seems that they're making good calls in terms of the um, the various combinations across the squad. Um, they're trying to go for continuity where they can. Um, and make sure that the the women have an understanding of the players they're playing inside and outside of, considering the reduced um, preparation time that they have compared to the men's game. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how they go this week against uh, Japan. So Japan put up a really good performance against the Australian Barbarians, um, and that was a, uh, a wider squad Japanese team. It wasn't the full uh, 15 or 23 that the Wallaroos will be playing this week. Uh, it was yep. an opportunity for them to to rotate some players and give some of the younger players a bit of an opportunity. But uh, Japan put a really good performance uh, in last week against the Fijiana women's team. So it'll be really interesting to see how they go against the Wallaroos. The Wallaroos' last test match prior to playing Fiji on Friday afternoon was against Japan in 2019. So there's a little bit of a rivalry okay. developing between okay. the two nations, which is fantastic. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see how both teams have have taken this sort of break from international rugby and, and use that time and, and see how they go against each other. Well, whilst we were talking before, I quickly looked up whether you can actually purchase the Wallaroos First Nations jersey. And yes, you can. If you go to the uh, wallabyshop.com.au, you can purchase it there. Oh, I'm so, uh, so getting myself one of those. They're awesome. Now, my assumption is that this is unisex, um, that like because it's, it doesn't specifically say that it's a women's jersey. You can you um, can get them. I've got a men's Wallaroos jersey. That's a men's yeah, cut sweet. in the design of the previous yeah, Wallaroos. Yeah, very, very, very keen. So yeah. I'm, I might be picking on myself one of those. We will need, anyway. to, get, we will need to get some kit to, to wear to support the girls in the World Cup later this year, for sure. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. That'd be great. Um, okay, why don't we move on to Super Rugby Pacific? And as we spoke about earlier, there were some... Oh, we've got one more hot. point. Sorry, before we move off we? the... Um, Wallaroos is oh, just yes, around we do. 
Thank you. Yes. Uh, why don't you go with that one, Mitch? Yep. Good call. Yeah. So um, Liz Partu is making her, well, not debut, but is playing against, uh, come, I think she's starting in the... No, no, she's coming off the bench. Off the bench. Okay. Yeah, so bench. yeah, she is yep. coming off the bench, but she will become the most cat Wallaroo in history for her 25th appearance, 25th appearance for the Wallaroos this weekend. So um, she surpasses Selena Tranta, Tui Ormsby and Rebecca Clow, who have all um, got 25 caps for the Wallaroos. So fantastic for Liz Partu to to get that little bit of history. And um, I, she's definitely not near the end of her career. So it'll be interesting. To, it'll be great to see how she progresses in the next few years and see how she goes um, and how many test caps she can get. Long may she reign. Long may she continue. Actually, no, in some ways, I hope that her record gets overtaken semi-quickly because it means that the Wallaroos are getting more games and more opportunities for the yep. women to be playing. Exactly. Um, but what a great achievement and huge congratulations and um, we'll be cheering her on tomorrow night. So why don't we move to the first match of the Super Rugby Pacific Round? As I was saying, there were some pretty high expectations, maybe over-the-top expectations in terms of the Australian team's performances. Do we want and- to talk about... The first, like Friday night, do you just oh, want to forget that? Delete it from the let's, memory. Let's just let's just do it in like two minutes and yeah. then delete it from our memory. Yeah. Okay, so uh, a reality check was handed to Australian rugby supporters in the most emphatic way possible with a seventy-one to twenty-eight defeat um, by the Blues to the Melbourne Rebels. They got absolutely pantsed, and almost the hardest part of it was that they were fourteen nil up after like six minutes. The it, rebels, uh, and then and then things just turned around horrifically. It was it was in some ways, and I don't want to um, to draw too many comparisons, but it was a little bit like the Waratahs last week. Got out two early tries in the first ten minutes, and you're starting to think, "Wow, do we have a chance here? Do, is there going to be another Australian team that's going to take the scalp against the New Zealand team?" But then uh, the Blues run in seventy one points, and like <laughs> we've seen from the Rebels this year before, they they bookend games, don't they? They they can score yep. points early and score points at the beginning of the games and then they sort of go quiet for 60, 65, 70, 75 minutes and can score some points right at the end, yep. um, which they did this week. So, uh, yeah, it's not it's not a great scoreline. It's not a great performance by this Melbourne Rebels team. Massive questions to ask about what happens next, what they can do to, to kind of gel as a team and to just stop. Like, there was just individual players that, were falling off tackles. They were just missing tackles, like missing one-up tackles. And you're like, what is wrong with you? Why aren't you hitting those tackles? And it just, the defensive structure at times looked non-existent. Mm. I, I can't remember which try it was because there was so many uh, and who it was that scored it. But there was one play that the Blues, I think it might have been Zahn Sullivan at fullback, um, received a, a long kick from the Rebels and he just ran it back himself. I think he offloaded it once or twice. Um, it changed hands two times, but they were never challenged. They basically went from their own 5, 10 meter line and ran full field just around Rebels players and through Rebels players yep. and, and yep. scored under the posts, nearly untouched. There was a severe lack of intent and I think that was more of the worrying thing. Um, there, there seemed to be players just not fully committing to tackles and just getting knocked off. Uh, look, it, it was very, very poor. And there were just some moments where players were who were defending a driving mall, um, the Rebels players defending a driving mall close to the line. The ball's been out for a good 
10 seconds and they're still just holding on to players at the driving mall rather than just pushing themselves out and reforming it and getting into the defensive line. And then Akira Ioane just picks the ball up and just places it over, absolutely untouched and uncontested. The first or second phase after them all. And I'm like, what's going on? How are your defensive structures failing so hard for that to happen? Um, and look, there's, there's a lot to be said. I think my biggest regret of this match was the fact that I traded Mark Talea away in my fantasy team and he got some pretty good points for the weekend and that ended up with you beating me, my friend. So congratulations. <laughs> that, that's my takeaway. Uh, I, yeah. Well, we won't go too much into the fantasy side of things. Um, but yeah, it was... And I I was actually watching the Wallaroos game because it was on at the same time. And yeah, me too. Every now and then I'd, when there was a stop in play in that, I'd swap over to the, the Blues game and just to see that scoreline getting higher and higher and higher. And I was like, well, I'm not missing much by watching this. So I'll go back to the Wallaroos where there's a general contest going on. Uh, yep. It's it's demoralizing for both the players and the Melbourne Rebels fan base. Uh, where to from here, though? Like, we've seen them put in some poor performances like this earlier in the year. They did get some of their players back and they were putting in some good performances in the last few weeks. They didn't look this bad against the Crusaders a, a few weeks ago at, at Super Round. Uh, was it just, an, uh, do you think, Hando, was it more of a, um, a a case of the Blues wanting it more and wanting to make up for nearly getting pipped by the force last week? Uh, I think and really just showing some of the infralities of the Rebels' defence. Yeah, I think that there's a few factors here. Um, I think the first part is that this Rebels team has, that they've had a few good performances a couple of decent performances in the last five or so weeks, um, but they haven't been consistent and they had a really poor start to the season as well. So that they're, they're not that good this year. Um, they have some quality players, but it seems like Kevin's Foots, Kevin Foot's transition into the head coaching role hasn't seen the same level of growth and upkeep that we have seen, say, with Darren Coleman at the Waratahs. He doesn't seem to have been able to have, yeah, just that same impact. Um, and where you have that concerted defensive drive within the Waratahs to make sure that they're being what tar tough is what I think they're calling it. Um, you just saw these this match on the weekend where the Blues executed everything incredibly well. They were playing with aggression. They were playing with flair and a lot of challenging passes and pretty risky takes came off. But at the same time, the Rebels were just incredibly poor. So where to from here? I think pretty simply, you don't make wholesale changes to a Rebels team like this. Um, you've still got to pick and stick. They've got the Chiefs at home this coming weekend, which I don't think they should... Well, okay, they will be hoping to win, hope by hoping. But I think as a neutral fan, you'd be saying the Chiefs should have this one in the bag. But you just want to see a better performance. You want to see more commitment, more effort across the board. Uh, and I'm pretty happy for us to be moving on. Yep. Any any fun things? Yep. All right. Um, now now that we've it. covered that absolute um, travesty of a match, let's move to what in some ways is a more frustrating performance as an Australian rugby fan, okay? Um, we expected so much more of the Queensland Reds within his trans-Tasman composition, but be it through injuries to key players like Taniela Tupo and James O'Connor, be it through whatever jitters and voodoo they have about playing New Zealand teams. They have been poor and the Queensland Reds went down 19 to 27 at home against a pretty uninspiring Highlanders team who really 
didn't show that much, but the Reds were just poor. Now, Mitch, uh, Tate McDermott's come out after the game and called his team's defence embarrassing and said that they were complacent. Uh, do you, would you agree with his assessment there? I think embarrassing is a big word. Um, it's a harsh it's word Tate's to use. Word. It's Tate's harsh word, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Like, um, it's harsh. It's a harsh description. I, I think if we're looking at a scoreline of the previous game, 71-28 to the Rebels, you'd say that was embarrassing. I didn't think they were that poor uh, in terms of defense here. I still think they were making their tackles and they were, were holding together. It was more that they just didn't know what to do. And they, particularly towards the end of the second half, they just looked lost and leaderless and, and they didn't have someone who was just shoring up the attack or, or showing them the way forward. Um, yeah. Lawson Crichton at 10, he didn't play a bad game. And this is probably the best performance we've seen of him at 10 so far this year. It, it, it's only his third crack um, at this level uh, in the 10 jersey. And he's getting better and better each week. But realistically, I think he's 21 or 22 years old and he's played minutes of Super Rugby before. He's coming in against a team like the Highlanders who are trying to get their season back on track. Through this victory, they're back up into the eight, um, which makes gives them a, a finals appearance. So they were they knew what they needed to do to win this game. I think Queensland sort of got a bit lost towards the end of that second half, uh, particularly yeah, taking well, Tate off in the in the sixty fifth minute. Yeah, look, I understand that, and nobody wants to see Tate go off, but. That's saying less about Kalani Thomas and more about the lack of on-field leadership mm. that is present within a Reds team and thinking, well, Thomas doesn't bring that. Um, you need to be keeping Tate on. But I just want to go back and say that the Thomas among a Jensen try in the 33rd minute was an absolute disgrace mm. to the Queensland Reds. Yeah. Um, so what happens is uh, the, the Highlanders play the ball out um, of a ruck. Lukan Salakai-Loto rushes up to try and push... Um, Put a, put a big hit on whoever the first receiver was. First receiver pops it inside to Umanga Jensen, who just basically steps into the hole that LSL has left. LSL tries to get back and like half-heartedly reaches his arm out. Harry Wilson reaches his arm out. Um, Ryan, Ryan Smith um, reaches yeah, his arm right. out. Yeah. And that nobody really goes in for a full tackle. And then he just bursts through incredibly easily and scores a try and brings it back within 33rd minute to what was it it was uh 12 12 5 as a result of that and then 12 12 7 um and it was just just the weak nature of that defense that makes you go what is wrong how are three quality players having such a poor effort moment and, and that's just like LSL shouldn't have rushed up without the connection to his outside man sure but for Wilson and Smith to not be diving so hard in that moment. Look, I don't want to make too big a deal about that one instance, but that was unfortunately an example of moments of poor defensive effort from the Reds. And that's one of the things that you would never expect of a Brad Thorne coach team. That's right. And again, we, we highlighted it before, and I wonder if it is that lack of leadership um, a lack of communication in in driving that defensive structure around who needs to be where. When Lukan Salakailoto shoots out of that line to make that tackle and creates a hole, I, I 
from watching it back, it didn't look like there was a lot of chat going on from the three players that were there to try and cover that hole. Non was talking about coming in and, and filling that hole. They kind of all just expected someone else to do it. And it, it was complacent. It feels like there's a little bit of complacency that's creeping into this Queensland Reds team at times, which is unusual considering their three. this is their third loss against a Kiwi side this year. Um, yep. it, it really is starting to show that without... James O'Connor, they don't look as good a team as they did before. Uh, we'll talk about it brief. We'll talk about it shortly around their scrummaging in the forward pack. But without Taniela Tupo, their forward pack now looks like it's got no real drive or momentum at all. Um, yep. It's starting to sort of show this performance in these last few weeks that maybe this Queensland side has relied too heavily on some of their key star players to really lead the team around, and the other players are relying on big. Uh, big flashy performances from individual key people to ignite them and to to motivate them to do their jobs better. Yeah, I think a player that they're really missing is Hunter Paisami as well because um, he had been developing his kicking game, which could have been used to support Lawson Crichton at 10. Uh, his passing has, again, developed over the last kind of 18 months as well, more, more so short passing. But I think one of the areas that they'll need to work on is how to be bringing their power wingers into the game as well. Like Jordan Pattaya um, had some moments of brilliance within the game, um, but generally wasn't able to make a huge impact. And Siliasu Vunavalu, again, has had a quiet game. Um, we expect more from someone who has such big raps on him and is so honestly highly paid that he needs to really be um, making sure every minute on the field is is producing something worthy of his paycheck. Yeah, And they're just not having the impact on the moments in the game. They just don't seem to be getting involved as regularly as you would like. And that's something that James O'Connor has managed to do more effectively earlier. So the question is, well, how can I best be supporting Lawson Crichton if James O'Connor's out for a couple more weeks? And the question um, really is as well on that same point is that uh, the communication isn't shifting across and they're not chatting. They're not, as individual players, they're not talking in a team huddle and realizing that Lawson Crichton isn't as um, efficient as sparking the outside players like James O'Connor is. The ball isn't finding its way out to the wing. So the wingers then need to start looking for the ball. They need to come off their wing and pop up midfield and go looking for the ball. Uh, Vunuvalu and Pattaya did do that in this game. So we're not saying that they weren't doing that. But what the Queensland Reds ended up finding themselves doing was giving the ball to Suliasu, uh, Suliasi, sorry, um, for sort of one-off yep. uh, one uh, runs, so similar to kind of league, uh, yep. which is not his skill set at all. Uh, there was one instance in this game where they kicked across field. Uh, I was expecting to see Bunavali going high for it because like Falau, he's such a tall player. I, I expect him to be really good under the high ball, but he wasn't even on. He was, I think, running across and cover defense. It, it ended up finding um, Josh Fluke, Josh I Fluke. think. Um, who did who a bloody good scoring, job. <laughs> and he did he did do well. Uh, yeah. But that's what they needed to be doing. They need to be kicking across the Vunavalu. They needed yeah. to be finding yeah. him in space in the air. Yeah. Um, and that's just not one of the things that they were doing. They were feeding All him right. one-off runs. Looking looking forward then, uh, the Reds have the Blues away, Moana at home, and Crusaders away. Uh, are you expecting one from three in those games? Is that realistic? Uh, would two from three be a bit of a miracle for them at this point? The I've heard today that the Reds, uh, the, yeah, the Reds are expecting James O'Connor to be fit this week, and maybe okay. even Hunter Paisami. 
Okay. So if they can get both of those players back, I think they they definitely beat Moana. They push both of the Reds and potentially the Crusaders, but I don't know. It's a big ask trying to beat both of those two teams at home, um, particularly with a team that has the form that they're currently having coming off some pretty heavy defeats um, yep. this year. So yep. c- confident they'll get one victory. Maybe I'd say that they get two. Uh, but that comes down to having some of their key players back like James O'Connor, like Hunter Paisami. Yeah, good calls. Okay, cool. Let's keep on moving on. Enough talking about a rubbish game of rugby and let's get to a better game of rugby, which was Moana versus the Waratahs, where the Waratahs, after a pretty poor start to the game, were able to grind it out and get away 20 to 26 winners with Moana being at home. This, in my mind, was a pretty poor start from the Waratahs. Yeah, uh, what was it, 17-14 at halftime to Moana. Um, yep. The Waratahs, they looked like they they were out enthused. Moana Pacifica really did, for the 80 minutes, look like they wanted this win more than the Waratahs players did. Um, I know that it's a big thing to beat the, the Crusaders the week before and to sort of ride that emotion, travel to New Zealand for the first time this year. Um, it's a big thing for a young playing group Still a massive positive that they were able to to turn the the game back in their favor and get the victory at the end there. But mm. there was there were particularly in the first fifteen minutes where some of the individual performances weren't quite as good as they they could have been. Um, a few simple errors, balls going to ground, unforced errors, those sorts of things. Uh, but it is a great uh, indication of what this team is capable of that they were able to score some quick tries, get back in the contest before half time and then carry it through um, in the second half. One of the, yeah, one of the things that really pleased me was their capacity to score tries right before the half. Mm-hmm. Um, so they got the Dave Parecki try in the 38th minute, which took the game from, well, to 17-14 with a conversion. So without that, they're going into the half 17-7. And just, just the mentality then becomes different. Um, you're chasing the game rather than knowing that you're directly in it and only a couple of points behind. So, look, as much as this wasn't the best performance from the Waratahs, uh, I think that a lot of credit needs to be given to Moana for the quality of their mm. performance. Yeah. Um, and before we go on and say anything else about Moana, a huge congratulations to Christian Leliafano for being the first Pacifica player to score a 1,000 points in Super Rugby. And what an incredible moment for his little boy to bring on the kicking tee yeah. for his dad and then be able to run off with it. Um, that was... that was just beautiful and really, really heartwarming. And I love, like, Leliafano is up there with Dave, um, with, 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 with... David Pocock. David Pocock as just being my absolute favourite rugby players. They just yeah. seem... He seems to just be the best of men, you know? Yeah, he just seems to be a genuine bloke on and off the field. 100%. I loved his little handshake with his boy as well. Yeah, no, um, that was I'll, that was really oh, special. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> that was really special. I think one of the things we need to say as well, I've, I've got two final points before we move off this game. Um, yep. The Waratahs leaders and, and Wallabies players really need to be given a, a big praise in this game. And it was some of them, uh, Azai Parisi particularly, who really stood up and performed well for the Waratahs. Yeah. Uh, he had a few unforced errors early on and was was dropping a few balls in tackles and those sorts of things. But once he started to get into the game and click, uh, he he was unstoppable and he was making meters and 
He was finding his outside backs in, in space and feeding Dylan Peach really well um, and nearly single-handedly got the Waratahs back in the game, which was fantastic to see. Um, really pushing for selection later in the year in that gold jersey. Um, the yeah. other point that I wanted to say before we move off this is have we found one of the weirdest loopholes in the rules of rugby union in this game? So I can't remember Tell if me. it was in early in the second half. But Dylan Peach scores an absolute screamer of oh, a try. Yeah. And yeah, it gets pulled yeah. back because the Moana Pacifica player's foot goes into touch. The heel went into touch and um, it didn't get caught up. That was one of the like, best tries. Excuse that, me. What, yeah. what happened to the rule of advantage? If he's knocked that on, it's played on and, and the try scored. They don't come back and, and check whether you've, the player's knocked it on or not. It, it's advantage. Yep. Why would you not play advantage in that same look, situation? Look, okay, I've got the answer for this, Mitch. Um, there needs to be a wheel of tries rule, which um, basically is a clause within the law book of World Rugby that says if a try resulting from a situation where it should have been called back for not foul play is sufficiently awesome, we invoke <laughs> the we love tries rule and the try still stands because we want the highlights package. Or maybe it should and just be called the let the boys play rule. Yeah, yeah. I mean, except um, the egg chasers have that. So uh, let's, that let's stuff them and let's go we love tries. We love, we love tries. tries. We love tries. We used to say that when we were playing touch footy when someone's like, oh, was that forward? Uh, who cares? We love tries. Looked good. Um, it, <laughs> so it's so silly. It, it, it's, so, it's so dumb because if... If that happens anywhere else, and and I, I think in this context, the ruling is because the ball has been made dead by going over the sideline, but it's the same as if the, if a player's knocked it on. If a player yep. knocks the ball on, they play advantage. Why would yep. you not play advantage in that situation? The Waratahs then get the line-out feed anyway. Um, yep. So you're denying them seven points and you're bringing it back for a foul or an error by the opposition. So I, I just it, it's really frustrating, particularly considering I had Dylan Peach uh, in my fantasy side, <laughs> so I just got an extra try wiped off the board. Mate, you won anyway. Quit your whinging. All right, so let's move on to a game that was actually uh, brilliant to watch and didn't result in either a close fought win for a Waratahs fan or frustration if you were a Rebels or a Reds fan. And that was the fairly comfortable in the end Brumbies victory away against the Chiefs in Waikato Stadium. So... That was 38 to 28. And although it was only 10 points separating them, I really felt that the Reds kind of, not the Reds, sorry, the Brumbies, Brumbies. had, they had the measure of the Chiefs. Not saying it was easy. It was a tightly fought encounter. But I was confident that the Brumbies had it within them to win this game. Did you have that same feeling? Uh, not going into the game, no. Um, no, sorry, not but during the game. During yeah, the game. but during the game, they were leading in nearly every facet of the game. And they were... They were making their meters. They were putting a lot of pressure on the Chiefs to make decisions. And the Chiefs weren't um, their most clinical selves, as we have seen in the past, in the last few years. Uh, the Brumbies really punished them in certain areas for that. And it was fantastic to see that an Australian team was able to, to score points off the mistakes of New Zealand teams. That's something that we've seen happen to us so many times in the past, that simple mistakes by our players result in points to New Zealand teams. We finally mm. got uh, an Australian team, the Brumbies, who are currently playing that well. But when uh, the Chiefs aren't making their tackles or causing knock-ons, the Brumbies are playing on quickly, increasing the tempo of the game um, or going to set-piece, which was where they were getting a lot of their go-forward as well and really punishing the Chiefs. 
Look, I am... Um, I was really happy with the fact that the Brumbies were able to be quite defensively solid. Their physicality, it's been kind of much touted after the last couple of games, in my mind was a thing that won them this match. Because if you look at some of the match stats from this game, they only had 29% territory in the second half. Overall, it was 39% territory, which basically means they're pinned back in their own half and having to rely upon defensive integrity to get them through this game. And they were, they were really, really solid. Um, they also were able to score points at the right moments, which again is a really, really impressive feature. So you had um, Lenny Ikutau come out straight after the break in the 43rd minute, score a try with the conversion extended out 14 to 25. And then a couple of minutes later, Noah Lolasiu gets a penalty and takes it to 14 to 28. And it's just those little moments there that, when they're able to put that scoreboard pressure on, it just means the Chiefs are chasing this game. They're 14 points down in the 53rd minute, minimum of two converted tries to get back into things. And whilst they did score in about the 60th minute, it was still the Chiefs having to chase the game and the Brumbies just able to build pressure um, through their defensive structures, not allow the Chiefs through, and then take the opportunities as they presented them. Yeah, exactly. And we saw that as well, that when the Chiefs scored a try, the Brumbies came back and scored a point scored points within a few minutes as well. So yeah. they were um, keeping that scoreboard pressure and they they just knew, they kept composed, they knew what they needed to do. They had their game plan ready um, and they stuck to it and it, it worked really great wonders for them this week. Yep, big play. And it's apart something from, to remember. Um, apart from Peter Gus Soakula running absolutely over the top of Noel Alessio. <laughs> you could see him just try to get out of the way. He, he saw he was, Peter Gus nope. coming around the corner and then he was like, nope. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> it was one of those half tackles, which is like, yeah, I tried, I tried to tackle him, but it's like, man, you, you did not, you did not go. I don't think that. he even did, did he? Didn't he like step backwards and just let him? He let kind him of throw? like fell, like lean backwards as though he's trying to ride the tackle and like hold the ball up or something. Yeah, but like it, he, it was a non-event. He made it, it easier for him to land on the ground. Exactly, yeah. exactly. No, it was um. Without a doubt, him getting out of the way of that. Yeah. Uh, but interestingly, though, if you re remember that it was uh, Naitoa Akoi who got the Chiefs' final try, that was in the 79th minute. Prior to that, it's 21-38 up until the 79th minute. So the Brumbies are leading by 17 points in the final couple of minutes of the game. They had this match in the bag for the final 10 or so minutes, um, which just really speaks to the quality that the Brumbies team have been demonstrating within the last few matches. I think last year they weren't able to convert the opportunities that they had against the Kiwi teams and didn't live up to the hype and a promise that a lot of people had for them. Now they're three from three and look, things are looking positive. They've got a huge match against the Crusaders at home this weekend. Yeah, massive, massive. It's a massive game uh, round of rugby this week, this coming weekend, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But yeah, some really, really key matchups for a lot of the Australian teams that will have yep. big uh, indications of the finals. Uh, but yeah, yep. the Brumbies just they're going from strength to strength at the moment. And they're playing so much better. I think one of the big differences from last year is first of all the draw has really helped the Brumbies this year. They've got mm. a dream run to the finals now. They play the Crusaders at home before going over to Moana, uh, over to Auckland to play Moana Pacifica before coming home to face the Blues. All Both of those two big games are in Canberra, which is massive yep. for them. Last year, they were traveling all over the place. I think they were four weeks on, on the trot over in New Zealand for 
a lot of the Trans-Tasman crossover. They had a few of their key players out with injury. Um, one of the things I think we also need to highlight as well that Dan McHale has done really well and probably one of the... Uh, it's starting starting to be said about the Queensland Reds is the roster and the management of the roster is that they have depth and they have players who have, have performed well um, in the starting jerseys. And we saw that this week with Alan Alatoa and Scott Sio coming off the bench in like the mm-hmm. 55th minute. Like those are two players that you... Exa- how good is it to be able to bring Alan Alatoa off the yep. bench when yep. you are ahead against a New Zealand team? Like the fact yep. that the, the front row has stood up so well up until that point and you're bringing on the Wallabies tight head to finish off the game is just shows the depth that the the Brumbies are really building down there in Canberra. Yep. There's a lot to be said for that. Look, uh, we do have two other games to go through, so why don't we quickly fly yep. through those matches? Uh, Western Force got spanked by the Crusaders 15-53 to 53, um, with hat-tricks to Lester Fienga, Anuku and Will Jordan in the first and second halves, respectively. Will Jordan just was on another wavelength this game. He was imperious in his ability to read the game. That chip through that George Bridge did and Will Jordan just swoops in out of centre field, picks it up, high right hand, brings it in, dances down a touchline, scores a try. I was just just clapping in my living room just seeing, seeing that executed so brilliantly. Um, Fyanga Nuku was kind of the recipient of some pretty good play inside of him. So he just got to stay on the outside and just dotted down a couple of times. Uh, but look, the Western Force, I don't think were as bad as the mm. scoreline suggests. Yeah. I, I do want to put that out. The scoreline yeah. is not at all favorable. Not, yeah, to not them. flattering at all. Um, but they were definitely in this match until about the 50th or so minute. Um, right before that Will Jordan try. I mean, it's 47 at the 47th minute, it's 15 to 25. Um, halftime score was 8-18. So, and then they scored straight after the break. So, I mean, look, it wasn't, they were doing okay, but then the Crusaders class and quality just, just took the game away from them. Any quick thoughts on this one? Because, I mean, we do have the really exciting Canes versus Fiji and Drua, and Drua <laughs> yeah, match to go um, through. Yeah, just... We, we've been expecting a performance like this from the Crusaders for the last few weeks. And um, as you said, halftime, it, it wasn't as bad as, as the final score does indicate. Um, the Western mm-hmm. Force were hanging in there. And I don't think the scoreline does reflect the game in a lot of measures. I don't think the Western Force were as bad as that scoreline does indicate. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's some absolute freaks in that Crusaders team. And when two players scoring hat-tricks and they're just scoring off nothing absolutely nothing and just finding breaks and it's almost like they've got spiders on them no one wants to go near their players at times um, oh there was a couple there was talent one of the tries that jake strawn um i think it was i think it might have been george bridges chip through either way um there was just this aimless kick by jake strawn into the waiting crusaders back three and then i'm pretty sure it was bridges ran it forward put the chip through and then um and then Jordan comes through and just picks it up. And you just thought, where's the integrity in the forces defensive line? If they're having to kick under pressure like that, then you've got to try and find grass and you've got to make sure your defensive line is set, especially against a team as devastating on the counterattack as the Crusaders are. So there's a lot to be said for kicking in the right circumstances. Mm -hmm. I think, um, Whenever you're under defensive pressure or attacking, like, like you're trying to attack and you're getting forced back and you're having to kick to relieve pressure, that's never a good situation. Mm-hmm. I think the Crusaders were able to force the force into that multiple times throughout this match. 
Yeah, definitely. All right, let's move on to the final game of the weekend, which was the Hurricane 67 to 5 against the Fijian Andrua. And you had a hat trick to Josh Moresby, uh, Morby. Billy Proctor got a couple of tries. Vers Husson got a couple of tries. I mean, look, I won't go through them all. Aiden Morgan just had a field day with conversions. Um, so this was a game where, in all honesty, the Andrua were incredibly poor. The defense looked like it was just a sieve. They they just didn't turn up. People were missing spot tackles. Their back line was unable to really cope with any second man out the back plays. It was very, very poor and disappointing for uh, Ndrua team, which has shown so much promise throughout the year, but never really had a huge defeat like this. Um, I don't want to kind of dwell on it too much, but Mitch, any kind of takeaways from you within this match? Was this a case of the Ndrua just being incredibly poor or were the Hurricanes just on fire? I um I haven't had a chance to see a lot of this game because I was working um, and I've had a yeah, few okay. days, so... Haven't yep. had been able to catch too much of it, but um, I guess the only the only light at the end of the tunnel is that uh, the Hurricanes had a training run in this game and won't be ready for the Waratahs come ne- come this weekend when they <laughs> have a real challenge. When they have a real challenge, yeah, um, yeah. Um, no, I think I, I do think it's disappointing from the Indrua team to to concede so many points. Um, they they would not no, no team goes out there to to just so convincingly lose a game uh, and. They've got a really good opportunity this weekend. They're playing Moana Pacifica on Saturday uh, in Parramatta. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can get up for that one and, and try and restore a little bit of pride in their jersey and, and really uh, put in a good performance for their fans. Yep, agreed. Well, mate, that's it for the games for this weekend. Why don't we quickly just run through the matches for next week? Why don't you take us through those and awesome. we'll just give a very quick idea of how we think things are going to go. Yeah, or do great. you just want to say what's happening? Uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see which ones we want to have a bit of a, a toss at a prediction for because I think a lot of them come down to selections and, and player availability. Yeah, but yep, uh, yep. Friday night, we have the Highlanders hosting the Western Force at 5.05 p.m., um, followed by the Brumbies and the Crusaders. I would say ooh, that first game, that's going to be, I think it's going to be a tight one. I really do. Yeah, me too. Which way do you see it going? I think the Highlanders will get up, but yep. the Force are a chance. The force are a chance if they can build upon some of the early season promise that they showed and just really bounce back after this disappointing loss. Yeah. Um, I think the season-ending injury to Kane Koteka is pretty significant for them. He's been one of their best players. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, look, if they can... If that if everything falls right for them, they are a chance within this game, but I think the Highlanders will be too strong at home. Yeah, and the Highlanders want to finish this competition off on a high, so... Be interesting to see how that one goes. Uh, Brumbies and Crusaders is probably going to be the game of the weekend. Really looking forward to seeing this one and seeing how it goes. Heart says Brumbies, head says Crusaders. I am going to wait until Thursday morning when or Wednesday evening when the, the teams are announced to see which way I'm going. Um, but I expect like a pretty full-packed team from both, a uh, full-back yep. 15 from both teams. Yep. Completely agreed. Uh, that's going to be a load of fun. So very much looking forward to that game. Uh, next up on Saturday, I'll start off and then you can carry on. We have an 
awesome encounter between the Fijian Indrua and Moana Pacifica at Combank Stadium in Parramatta at 2.35. Mitch, are you going to be heading out to that game? Yep, yep. I'll be there. Be there with... So good. Bells on and cap on and everything. So that's going to be a fantastic opportunity to get to see the two Pacific Island nations going head-to-head in Super Rugby for the first time. So if you can get there, if you don't have anything on, do go there. But I will say, if you do only have access to one game of rugby this weekend do reserve it for the waratahs and the hurricanes later in the afternoon yeah and on that i should know us quickly oh yeah let's just go to it stuff it um later that afternoon it's actually the final match of that evening it is the waratahs versus the hurricanes and we want you to hashtag fill the hill we want this to be a sellout game both mitch and myself will be heading out to the match we're pretty sure the draft rugby boys are going to be going there too um it's going to be absolutely incredible the noise against the crusaders was next level and look every every new south wales fan loves a bandwagon uh, so for all you bandwagon supporters, please just hop on. There's room. There's room in the back of the wagon for you. Yeah, there's and room. we there's would love, room. would love to see you there, getting loud and and, and for proud. Waratahs fans as well. If they win this game, there is a legitimate chance that they will go into fourth place. If we yep. can stay in fourth place for the re- for the last two rounds of Super Rugby, we get a home semi final or quarter final. Yep. Sorry, quarter final, home quarter final. So. All to play for for the Waratahs this year. We went from not winning a game last year to potentially getting a home quarterfinal this year. So do get out there, get behind this team because it's going to be fantastic. Awesome. Do you want to take us through the other two games? I did skip one. Yeah. So we've got the uh, Auckland Blues hosting the Queensland Reds on Saturday afternoon, 5.05 p.m. at Eden Park. This is going to be a massive task for the Reds. Uh, Eden Park is such a hard place to play rugby for any Australian team. Going up against an informed Blues team who... Uh, are sitting nice and smug at the top of the competition table at the moment. Uh, they want to finish this year off well. Uh, I would love to say that the Queensland Reds are going to go there and be a bit of a speed hump and, and throw things off, but the current form we've seen the last few weeks indicates that that may not be the case. But this will be a great game nonetheless. So do uh, get get around that. Do tune in on Stan Sport because it will be a fantastic game to watch. And then the round does finish on Sunday afternoon with the Melbourne Rebels hosting the Chiefs at Amy Park down in Melbourne, two o'clock kickoff there. So do if you've got nothing else to do on Sunday afternoon, do put that one on there and watch the Chiefs absolutely have a field day. How good. How good. Well, mate, why don't we finish things off by quickly running through the locker room? Let's go. All right, we're in the locker room now. Favourite part of the pod. And thank you firstly to Michael Gardner, who says, man, how good were the Wallaroos? Even the Barbarians went well, given they only had 24 hours notice. Completely agree. Fantastic game. Make sure you're listening to it probably today when you're listening to this. Um, 5 p.m. will be the kickoff on stand sports. So get involved. Ben Eadles says, love the Wallaroos win on Friday night. So pro, totally agreed. The Reds are not going to win any match this year in my layman's opinion or any other match this year in my layman's opinion but also shows you that a back three doesn't win you matches if you're losing a scrum it's all over would you agree mate do you think the um red scrum and forward pack is in some ways the foundations of their problem yeah definitely i think uh taniel tupo not playing for the queensland reds has been a massive turning point for the season so far for them and uh him taniel alone scores penalties for the reds uh without his influence there they don't seem to be going forward they don't seem to be 
driving teams off the ball like they do when he is there. So it does seem, particularly to the referees, that they're not as, um, I guess, ascendant. They don't have that ascendancy at, at scrum time that they did before. So they're getting pinged a lot more. Yep. I think so. All right. He also says, um, and this is Ben Edels, also says, Tarzan Brobies are on fire. Love it. And what a great doubleheader that was on Saturday. Feel like I got good value from my stand subscription. And he also asked, anyone going to the Brumbies match after work? I'm down there for the week for a work gig. So if you are going to the Brumbies match, make sure you reply to our locker room post on Facebook to Ben. Let him know. Meet yeah, up. Feel the, be awesome. Feel the uh, feel GAO. But this is this is a massive opportunity for the Brumbies. Um, they've got some yep. really big games coming up. So if you are a Brumbies fan, get everyone you know, related, relatives, work colleagues, old schoolmates, everyone. That guy you stood next to at the bar last week, Get them there to GIO because we want to sell out. We want to bring the Brumbies home in style this year. Completely agree. Uh, Alex North, Northy asked on Twitter, is there a shining light in Oz Rugby at the moment? Could be a player, coach or team. We've already spoken about him this pod. It's uh, Ned Hannigan. So let's move on. Uh, what about uh, what about Alex North himself? <laughs> the the fantasy superstar that he is. He's, he's leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else in our comp at the moment. So yeah, um, what did he shout get? Out 550 to plus points or something like that? It's just, just absurd. Unfair. Just absurd. Um, I think realistically, you've got to be giving that mantle to Darren Coleman. Um, the, what he's done to turn this team around so far has been absolutely incredible. And um, no matter genuinely, no matter what happens for the rest of this season, even if we would have lose the rest of our games, um, he still would have had a huge success with this team, considering yep. where things were at last year. Okay, Gus at the Robusto says... Uh, asked, do the Reds actually have a scrum or has Tupo been making them look better? I think, Mitch, you've already answered that. So we'll go to his second uh, question. I, I, will, I will say that they do have a scrum. Like they, the other guys there aren't just standing around and letting Tupo push the, push the scrum <laughs> around. But without him there, sure. it's a massive change to the way that they've prepared and the way that they want their season to run. Like He is the penalty magnet that they have uh, built their game plan around. And without him, they don't seem to have as many other options. It is interesting to see how much his scrummaging game has improved in the last 24 months, though, considering that was the area of weakness for him um, to, to then go to the point where the red scrum is being far, far less effective um, than they were previously without him. Yeah. Anyway, Gus also asks, if Quake Cooper isn't picked and James O'Connor is out for the England series, who's your number 10? 10 Enmid. No, no, I'm um, joking. That was tongue in cheek. Uh, you said that very seriously. I assumed you were joking, but I wasn't sure. Bernard Foley, maybe. Yes, bring him back. No, nah, it, it's a tough question. It has to be Lalesio because yeah, he's the only be. one that yeah. has that experience with the squad. Yep. But I still don't know Probably if he's ready to go up Nick against White England either. Of him. Well, he has to. He has to. Like, you're going to have Lenny Cattell probably at 13. You'll have Nick White at nine. You've just got to go for that combination. And with Banks probably at 15. So if you're picking between genuinely Tane Edmed or um, Lola Siu, it has to be Lola Siu. Yeah. Like, it, it makes logical sense. Um, even or if not <laughs> I'd love to see uh, Tane get a spot, but that's just for the lols rather than anything serious. He'll be playing Australia. He'll be playing Australia this year. Yep. Got Cudmore. Is the re- oh, we didn't speak about that. Oh, well, next week. Um, Australia A is a thing and they're going to be getting players to play and we're very, very excited. We'll talk Ooh, about yeah, that we more next talk week. we'll talk about that bit, yeah. No, next week, yep. next week, yep. next week. Uh, Jock Cudmore, is the Reds a mindset thing? It seems the aimless kicking towards the end of the games recently comes from trying something different because they think what they're doing isn't working. If they stick to plans and structures, they win that. Thoughts? 
Um, I think it's a lack of leadership and a lack of direction when it comes to those last sort of championship minutes, last 15 minutes or so. At the moment, the only person in that back line that really has any form of uh, leadership is Tate McDermott. Without James O'Connor there, he's the only one that's really driving things around and he's actually the only one calling plays and, and putting plays into gaps. When you take him off, and Kalani Thomas is not a bad option as a scrum half, but he's not the captain uh, that Tate McDermott is. When you yeah. lose that little bit of leadership, that's when we start to see these instances of aimless kicking, of not knowing what the best option to do. They don't have that person that's in the centers that's telling them, like a Hunter Paisami, don't kick, let's just keep the ball in hand and let's just keep slowly working our way up the field. We'll get a penalty and we'll kick it over. Um, this week particularly, it did seem like they, they were missing that leadership there and they didn't. none of those young guys in the back line knew what to do. So they were just kicking it aimlessly, hoping to get a penalty or something. Yeah, yeah. All right, next question from Abel Willing and Zed. Would you hypothetically be in favour of an American-style draft system for Super Rugby with salary caps, for example, Bowden Barrett suddenly playing for the Tars, etc.? Could add some real spice, but may lose that tribal tribalism element we all love. Uh, I think I don't think there's enough money in the game to make that financially viable for players. Um, I don't think players would be willing to move from, say, Sydney to... I don't know, Wellington. the cold, deep, dark depths of New Zealand. Um, or even away from, if they're a young player moving away from their family to somewhere like Perth, which Perth is lovely, genuinely, but it's literally on the other side of the country and hard to get back and see family. And it's just so far away. I'm not convinced that it would be something that could work within Australian rugby, particularly considering we've never had anything like it before. Um, um, I think from a, a like a... a perspective of the uh, product that Super Rugby is. I think that it's it's something that we need. Super Rugby, is it's, it's been run and done so many times in the past. Super Rugby Pacific is a little bit different, but it's not that different that it's adding a completely different sort of element. I think it would be cool to see this American-style draft system. Uh, if a player doesn't want to move, then too bad um essentially like if you're getting paid by rugby australia and told that you've been drafted by the 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 hurricanes you're moving to the to wellington and that's what you do because that's what you've been told to do that's what you've been you're being paid to do so um i, I think it, from the logistics side of things take that away because that is a whole nother case that you need to work through and try and figure out but from a purely fan engagement point of view, I think it would be fantastic to see a player like Richie Mwanga lining up for the Western Force, Michael Hooper playing for Moana Pacifica or um, or for the Hurricanes or the Highlanders. I just think that would be really cool to be able to see that cross, um, cross culture of talent across the yep. system. Uh, the tribalism side of things, I don't necessarily think that that is as big a problem. Um, I'm not going to the Waratahs to support Tane Edmund because he grew up playing for Eastwood. I'm going because I'm they're the Waratahs, they're New South Wales, and they're my local team. They could have Richie Mawanga and um, Brad Webber lining up for them, and I would still go and support them because they're the Waratahs. Like, they're my local club. I don't really mind who much is playing because I don't get a chance to say anyway. Um, I, I think it's a cool idea. Awesome. Well, we also have from Myers uh, at nineteen sixty eight Myers from Twitter. The Reds, where can they improve to win? They've been so close. It's time for a great win. We completely agree. They need to be stepping up for just the sake of their own poor, long suffering fans against these New Zealand teams. You should have seen Rev's heart 
Um, I mean, we could hear the frustration that was coming out from him in our group chat over the weekend. So please, Reds, just do it for Rev. Just do it for Rev and his little boy as well. So, look, I think that is it for this show. Thank you, everybody, for getting to this point. My laptop is on 5% battery and is not charging properly for some reason. So if we had to speed through things at the end, um, we apologize. But, but we still, got there. It's and that's great. amazing. We got there. We got there. We got there. Uh, we got if there. you are going out to Moana Pacifica versus the Endure this weekend, all the Waratahs versus Hurricanes, do keep an eye out for us. Do come say hi. We love we'll chatting to you all. Uh, we do have media passes again for the Waratahs Hurricanes game. So please do look out for our, our Twitter post around halftime. If you've got any questions for either sets of coaches, do hit us yep. up. We want to ask your questions. Um, keep getting involved. Keep uh, keep telling your friends about us. Our numbers have been growing over the last few weeks, which is fantastic. So um, another thing that sort of helps the algorithm as well, if you want to leave us a review, tell us what you think we're doing well. Um, any ideas you think we could do better let us know we'd love to hear from you and I think that's about it so thanks again everyone getting to this point of the pod we will catch you next week all right see you team bye